Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Nightheart, and you've reached Venus Unplugged from New York City. And uh, what we do here, I am uh, kind of a therapist, a psychic with a twist. I work with uh, the principles of, of Jung and fairy tale, and of course my natural gift as a clairvoyant. And what we've been exploring for a couple of years now is the archetype of Aphrodite, the archetype of Venus and Eros. In this culture, we crucify beauty and truth and relatedness. Um, And uh, so I want to explore here how psyche works, how the unconscious works, what the principles are, and uh, so we can have a better understanding that uh, psyche rules. Whatever we don't know about ourselves does return to us as fate. And... um, so I'm going to do a little review here since it's September and it's review time. And let me see. Let me. On Thursday we're going to have the equinox, uh, autumn equinox. So what happens then is there is a balancing. So there's a natural balancing within our own selves. For those of you that are into the esoteric language. Um, that is also a time of purification and cleansing. So if some negative forces have been sent your way or you feel that, uh, you know, equinoxes are the time when the, those forces get cleansed and we don't have to take them for another half a year. Okay. So, but what we're looking at now is uh, one of your finest books, you know, in the, even though there's a lot of yakking and Jungian talk and stuff. I think you know his philosophy and his. He, he's just starting to be understood because he demands contribution. You know, of course, as a man, there's as with all of us, lots of uh, failures, but also tremendous, tremendous contribution. All right. So, first and foremost understanding that there are always forces at work which we have no knowledge of but we're playing out nonetheless and these are the they the, they work out in history as well as those forces are not the gods as we call them or the archetypes but they were nonetheless powers and they are powers so that statement, you know, what goes around comes around, that's actually the law of balance. It has nothing to do with punishment. It is a balancing. And there's particular balancing on this Thursday with, with the equinox. So we, and the balancing is cause and effect. We reflect, oh my goodness, I saw it this way. And uh, I'm going to go over a little bit of review on the ego and the shadow. So we can start to understand these principles that we all are working with. And what is consciousness? Consciousness is the awareness that we are unconscious. <laughs> That's what consciousness is. So even, uh, you know, if we make the slightest effort to become aware of what we don't know about ourselves, we certainly can clearly see it in our enemy or in our strangers 
or in our loved ones, uh, but not always so much in ourselves. And that's important to understand. There before the grace of God go I. So we, as human beings, the royal we, I suppose, is somewhere between fate and destiny, right? So... And then we have justice, which is kind of consequences or retribution. All right. Uh, So fate is when it's what we're born with. You know, there wasn't choice. It's kind of where we were born and what it was about. And uh, we're presented with this by the gods. Uh, Our family of origin, the culture that we're born into, genetic inheritance. uh, None of this is a choice. And yet there's a certain destiny. The destiny is what we do with it. And and the destiny is how we carry out one's fate. So those are the two extremes. Fate, given by the gods. Destiny expresses itself, you know, how we express ourselves with that with that destiny. And the human character is somewhere bouncing in between these two extremes. So uh, within within the, the state of human character, there are other characteristics. One of the big ones that we're into these days, and we're watching it par excellento, is uh, hubris. Uh, another word for it is inflation. All right, and uh, it's very easy to fall into it, particularly if we're not aware that the ego is just part of the whole personality. The ego gets inflated. It's almost like uh, a blister. It rubs the wrong way, and then we get a boo-boo, and it swells, and we're in this, and it gets busted in order to get healed. So there's a, the, the ego has a tendency towards presumption, right? And the presumption of the ego makes frequently and and that it knows who it is i am therefore i am but it doesn't know about the unconscious there is the personal unconscious and that's with the author of all that what goes on in our life and then there is the the personal unconscious just has a lot to do with how we're carrying out our life and what we're, you know, choices that we're making. Now, the collective unconscious is pretty much the same. Uh, So that's the kind of early and primitive forces. By primitive, it doesn't mean less than. More potent, I suppose, is a better word. And so when the ego says, you know, I'm running the show here, and there's a tendency for the ego to... uh, kind of privilege its own position to value its choices, you know. And, but the problem with the ego, it is often uh, doesn't know enough to know. It doesn't know enough. So it's the interplay of all these forces every day in every way and even while we're sleeping that really um, is what the human condition is about. And it's really... On one level, it can feel daunting. On another level, it is so profound. And we're somewhere between those levels. So it's like the 
the fate that you was handed is is Apollo. But, uh, but the uh, the hand that wounded you is your own. And uh, so when people say, you know, what they don't know doesn't hurt, wrong. It hurts a lot. It comes back. Not in revenge, just in, it's just, it's like swings back. And if there's nothing like human character in between these two swings to judge and understand and determine, uh, we get pulled to and fro with all of these um, these opposites. So in, in trying to understand where we are, and particularly now, I mean, it really is a huge call towards uh, moral character. And that's pretty much what the, the Jungian philosophy is, is about, is, you know, that to, to become whole is... Um, some moral responsibility or to become mature. You don't hear that word a lot. It's probably considered old-fashioned, but it has great value. Uh, to, And it doesn't happen automatically. Now, life inherently teaches, and not everyone has uh, the time or can make the effort to, um, to do a therapy or to do work. So, you know, but by asking ourselves the questions, which we do, and the question is not, why has this befallen me? The question usually has to do with what, what is the task that my soul requires of me? Or what is the task that life requires of me, this situation? And we, we look at it um, not from the eyes of a child or from the eyes of the ego, which always stands first and says, no, I'm right. And everyone else is wrong or can't stop and say, well, let me just observe this. Well, let me put my, reverse it. That's where Jung created active imagination, where we give voice to the opposing forces that are going on in our head. We write one thing down and then we write the next thing down and we start to see, wow, that is a very deep struggle. And if it gets really strong, then we're in a state of utter chaos. And all of that contributes to what's going on in the outer world, because this is also going on in the inner world. They interplay. So the components of the ego are... um, the ego's nature in and of itself in every human being is the same, but the difference is is that the you know the components have that what our our clarity our emotional coloring our uh you know what Jung calls types the thinking type feeling type uh intuitive type sensei type uh, these are all what make the uh kind of the design of the ego, but the central structure of it, uh, it is individual. All right. And the ego, as a point of reference, uh, has a very significant part to play. It's not surprising that the prejudice of it being the center of the personality, and that has flourished for a very long time in history, uh, but it's just the center of the personality. But once we are truly aware 
this is the important point, and this is also the the thrust of Venus Unplugged, is that once the existence of a psyche outside of consciousness is realized by experience, the absolute position of the ego becomes relative. And I guarantee you the ego does not like that. So that is also called the midlife crisis, which uh, can happen pretty much uh, midway, so it doesn't have to be a chronicle midway. It also can be the midway between uh, a problem. We hit the crisis point. Same, the same thing happens in a dream. Uh, we build the, the psyche gives us the storyline, the commentary on uh, what's going on inside, and then there's a crisis in the dream, and then the last part of the dream uh, hints at resolution. So, like I said, even if we're not working, we are being worked. That's what psyche does. Because the job of psyche is to get us to our wholeness. And considering we all live somewhere between here and eternity, we have eternity. So there's no timeline. But it certainly makes life more interesting if we consider um, that uh, the ego plays an important part, but it really is not God. It is the choices that we make. And when we're not in complete relationship, seeing all the aspects, the ego will have us fly into hubris, inflation, my way or the highway. I can do this all. I can stand before ancient laws and disrespect them all. I can drive in the opposite lane. I can drive drunk. So in a sense, when we're in an inflated ego, it's drunk driving. And there's lots of accidents caused. Now, the drunk driver may get out unscathed, but if he looks around, really looks, reflects. Well, this causes a lot of hurt and and misunderstanding uh, in, in the human condition. So we're trying here at Venus Unplugged to give some understanding to be able to discern what are these different aspects. Was that my ego, the false ego? Was that in relationship to the task that my soul requires of me? At what position was my shadow standing? And the shadow, that represents um, pretty much what we don't know about ourselves. It's not negative or positive. It certainly can have that outcome. But it is more about uh, the, the shadow is really kind of what the moral problem of our life is. We don't want to see. Uh, we can, as I say, we can. That's that's projection. We can clearly see the folly in another person or the tragic flaw in a in a, another something outside of ourselves, but little more difficult to turn that around and say, well, where is that for in me? And how is that living in me unbeknownst? And that's when we start, really gets interesting. 
I can't say that it's comfortable, but it becomes interesting because that's rich and powerful. And that's also where we have art and poetry and literature and, and uh, known or unknown, we're working out those forces. So becoming terms, you know, with 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 the shadow is a lifetime task. There's no like I've done the shadow work. No, you haven't. It's every day. I mean, you may have done some work and you're you're some aware, but it's not something. It's it's a constant um, in 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 our life. And also, that's what I think really gives the richness and the meaning to life. It's kind of the plot. You know, um, people resist the the concept of hell, which there's no like literal hell, but you know that's kind of the hell is the place where 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 the sh- the shadow um, lives and breathes and has its being, and we can start to un- it's hell because we don't have an awareness of it, we refuse it. But there's a lot of teaching, just like a, there's a lot of teaching from the center of the earth. Oh, there's a lot of growth in it with light. We come from a different light, the shadow light. So we, it's it's really painful, the shadow. But once we're able to face it, we can really begin to develop. Now, we don't face it straight on directly, headlights towards it. It's more through reflection. And reflection is asking our question. And the question is not, why did this happen to me? That's, no, that's not so kosher. That, that's a question from the ego, or that's the question that the child asks. Uh, and the child can't. The child is too busy, and, and that's the rightful place of developing an ego. So uh, the more Venusian way to is to ask, you know, what, what is the task that my soul requires of me? How do I learn how to love? You know, people so fascinating have all these lists and about what they want in love and what the person is supposed to be and and very rarely do I hear the other side, which is well what are, what are the actions that you're taking to be that person that you want that other person to be, or how are you going to meet that person it's um they sit on one side of the fence and, and suffer instead of saying, okay, uh, if I want to meet somebody um, interesting, uh, I will do something interesting and meet people and strangers. I mean, that's great that there's this computer stuff, but that causes a lot of anxiety and tension. There's lots of people. The world's overpopulated, so there's no shortage of people. There's shortage of of people who, you know, just are going to fulfill our wishes. What are we, you know, who is the one, and I don't feel there's just one. There can be many um, soulmates, soul friends. You know, if we can't, if we're not in a personal relationship or a romantic relationship, then really put some effort into your friendships and develop the union in that way. There's always the other. And we know that when, with our pets, and that with our families, there's the other. 
And so if we don't have that personal relationship, well, we still can develop until that one kind of comes along or we figure out, you know, how we can be in a position to meet new people. So with the shadow, so the real difficulty is the emotion that's attached to the, to the shadow. And that emotion is not an activity of the individual, but something that happens to him when his adaption is the weakest and causes obsessions and even possessions. So your shadow plays a great part because that's where we're oversensitive, where someone would say something that's like, oh, how could you possibly say that about me, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, but it's true. And there's this deep kind of like, like an aerosol can and a fire reaction and everything blasts. It's like that deep overreaction somewhere there's shadow. So it's not blame. It's, it's the contributing factor. So the ego gets very offended. I, not my fault. Well, it's not a matter of fault. It's a matter of dynamics. It's a matter of yin and yang. It's a matter of balance. So, you know, but the difference, you know, and, and however, when we're kind of becoming differentiated or a little more civilized, uh, we may be uh, in consciousness. We all have these kind of primitive forces, envy being one of the biggest ones, um, who are the passive parts of us. And so the, the, collect, the unconscious and the collective unconscious is, is not capable of moral judgment. It's not interested in that. The, the archetypes of the gods are not into human morality. That they're gods. And in a way, there, there are some beliefs that, that the gods envy humanity uh, because uh, we have some free will. They don't have free will. Apollo has to be Apollo, Aphrodite has to be Adonis, Hera has to be Hera. The archetypes have to live according to their nature. There's no switcheroo. So when we have the shadow, a good deal of the shadow is it's, it's easy to find. It's also very painful. And when we assimilate it, the parts that are projected are often incredibly obstinate. Like, no, that's not me, that's that other. So what Jung says is, is that, you know, the understanding our projections, which is when we can't integrate the shadow, we're going to project it out in the world. It's their fault. Or the victimization. But what Jung says, and I agree with 1,000%, is that it's a, a moral achievement that goes far beyond the ordinary when we take up the task. And one of the best books, really, on, on shadow is um, uh, Robert Johnson's Owning Your Shadow. I mean, I love all his books because he takes these rather complex um, concepts uh, because we have to live them. Just because you can say it doesn't mean you're, you're experiencing it. You need to really live this stuff. 
And what projections do? They isolate us by surrounding us with this veil of delusion uh, that obscures reality entirely. So we would see that as illusion, Meyer, Neptune. So let's say, for example, someone could never admit that they're wrong. They always find, and usually a superior reasoning, for, no, I'm absolutely right. So when you get so caught, and I'm not saying that you can't be truly right, but when that happens, you can also say, okay, I understand this, uh, but I can also see how this could be perceived this way. So it's not about that right or wrong, because then we're on one side of the scale and not the other. And the balancing of the shadow is somewhere in between. Yes, I understand that, but I too am capable of, you know, how many people don't even realize that they're murdering their soul by their behavior. And then when they wake up four o'clock in the morning, devastated, and, you know, that's who you are at that four o'clock in the morning. That's the facing off. That's when the real conversation begins. Or you wake up with this devastating loneliness that cannot be filled. You don't try to fill it with others. You have that conversation with the loneliness. What is the longing? Or is this a time of grief or a time of suffering that one must consciously suffer feeling the boo-boo feeling what's going on so let's say somebody will say oh you know I can never admit that I wasted the first uh, 35 years of my life just noodling around but if we can say that but that it's not a waste the realization doesn't make it a waste it says you know I was stumbling and I was it was folly, and I was a bit of the divine fool, and I was struggling, and I really believed the branding that if I do this, this, and this, according to the collective, I will get this result. Right. And uh, usually by the time 35 hits, we pretty much realize, well, that isn't always true. And even if it is true, it's about ready to change. And we see it as a, you know, a life sucks no it doesn't we just have to turn it on and use that energy and reflect so the great difficulty in realizing the shadow lies in its uh, becoming contaminated by the anima and the animus and those are the two inner contra-sexual figures right? so uh, if you're a female and you're dreaming of females uh not only is that your shadow, because your shadow always shows up in the same sex as the dreamer, uh, but if, if a male dreams of a female, that very often indicates his anima figure, his inner female. And when a woman dreams of a man, very often that is her. Like you can have a dream, uh, there's a man who's very helpful in the dream, and there's a man who's not very helpful in the dream, and, and uh, you're struggling with the dream. So it's showing you that there's, that there's uh, an animus struggle. There is one uh, masculine principle that is for us and working towards our greater good, and there's one that's working against. So that's part of seeing 
the enemy within. Where did, you know, it's like, damn, I did it again. I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to learn how to keep a secret, and I spilled the beans. Or when people can't keep contained, which is what a secret is. I'm not talking about toxic secrets that poison us. Those should be absolutely either written down or shouted out. But the secrets of, of the containment, or somebody says, you know, can you keep a secret? No. Say no, even if you can, because what you're saying is, would you do me a favor and hold my shadow, because I can't keep a secret, so I'm going to pass it on to you. Don't fall for it. Say no, you were given the task of keeping that information or that event secret and sacred. You hold it. I am not picking that up. I got my own to deal with. So, so much, and and I really feel there's an incredible, do I feel it, I see it, this incredible acceleration of consciousness is going on, which is what the chaos is about. Enormous amount of creativity, enormous amount of Venus is is, uh, really being kicked up. So we can start understanding. So till next week, and we're going to go over the uh, the synergies, which is the anima and the animus, and start to work with uh, these principles in our life. And so, uh, what is the task that your soul requires of you? Is it is a good way to uh, um, start the morning, or what is the task I'm avoiding? That's the first what. Uh, Jung would always wonder when someone came into therapy. Be like, what's the task that this Alessandre is avoiding? And what are the, the traits of the petty beliefs? What's going on here? Or the tyrannical fears that we love more than life. So let us sacrifice our tyrannical fears for the pain of becoming. It's worth it. It's birth pains, birth pangs. So till next week, uh, Venus unplugged, um, and uh, I'm also transforming. Uh, transforming, I suppose. Transforming is kind of a Jungian truth. Um, I'm putting um, former episodes on YouTube to open up this information to the world. Bye bye.